0: Our first reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 34, and we're starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, But you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock, so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep. And make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is God's word.
1: The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when a demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives up demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages,
2: Good evening, my name is Matt, I'm on the staff here, and uh, it'd be great if we just pray as we keep God's word open as we look at it this evening. Father, thank you that you're a God who speaks to us uh, clearly, and we pray that as we look at your word tonight, that we would uh, have that certain knowledge that you've been addressing us in our lives, whether we're new to these things or very used to them. Please, would we leave here knowing that you've addressed us? And we pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you're joining us this evening, you join us as we look at uh, Matthew 8 to 10. That's what we've been doing in the last few weeks, looking at these eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And this evening we get to uh, some verses which show that we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. Uh, You sitting where you are, me standing where I am, Need a shepherd. That is someone to lead us through life. That's what shepherds do. They lead you. You and I need a shepherd in life. Now I don't know if um, you would agree with that as you come in this evening, whether you'd say that's true of you or not. You might think actually I'm not sure I do need a shepherd. I get by very well in life. I got through This week, okay, Uh, I expect that I'll get through next week, okay? I don't really need a shepherd to get me through uh, life. We feel, I guess, independent. At some point, I don't know when it is, at some point we move from being uh, dependent upon our parents or whoever's brought us up, and then at some point in our 20s we move to independence, I guess, and we sort of think, well, I've moved from a situation of dependence on someone else. Actually, now I'm independent. I don't need anyone. I just crack on in life. That's, that's what I do. I'm independent now. I don't need a shepherd. Maybe you know that, uh, that story that's, um, that's told in Christianity Explored, that course that we run here. It's, it's a great story of a, a mother and uh, her little child. They're, they're seen in a supermarket. And the mother is trying to teach her, uh, her son independence and so the mother is overheard speaking to her son saying asking the question who's the boss of you expecting the child to say uh, I'm the boss of me trying to teach a sort of very modern lesson who's the boss of you says the mum. who's the boss of you who's the boss of you expecting I'm the boss of me little child looks up at mummy and says "Mummy, you're the boss of me you're the boss of me I trust in you Says the child. Now that's obvious. Children are dependent on their parents. But at some point, we kid ourselves that actually we're independent creatures. But actually, the truth is whether we like it or not, we, we do choose shepherds in life. It's just what we do. We have this inbuilt sense that we do need someone to lead us. And so we choose different shepherds. So maybe you're a, stu- uh, a student, you've just moved to London, you're new to. Uh, The city. And I I guess you maybe you take your lead from someone in the second year. You look at their life. You think they look like they've run the first year of student life quite well. I take my lead from them. The student rep stands up at the start of Freshers' Week and says, this is how Freshers' Week works best. Or your parents say as you as you leave home, they say, don't forget, these are the best years of your life. (laughs) And you go, "Okay, okay, well, I'll go along with that. You, You take your lead from someone. Uh, You're you're in your career and uh, you you think, well, where do I go next? I've been in my job for a few years. How do I make the step up? What's the next thing? What do you do? do You you take your lead from someone who's higher up, your line manager. You sit them down. Uh, You have a a chat with them. They talk you through the, the next step. You have a career coach or in personal life you have a, I don't know, a a date coach or you can get procrastination coaches that sort of help you if that's a particular issue. You can get all sorts of coaches who will coach you through life. We, We naturally look for shepherds, people who will lead us through. We do that as a nation. It's party political season. We look to leaders, people to shepherd us. Actually, although we tell ourselves that we're independent, actually we look to others all of the time to shepherd us. Even if we want to be independent, strangely we look to our gurus who tell us that we're independent, the philosophers and the thinkers who back that up, we sort of look to them. Somehow it's strange. But all of us look to a shepherd. We need a shepherd. The question is, what sort of shepherd? Who is good enough and strong enough to lead you through life? And that's what we come across in this chapter, Matthew chapter 9. It's on page 974. It'd be great if you just uh, turn that back open. And the first thing that we see is that we all need a, a shepherd. And in this chapter, we see that Jesus Christ is the true shepherd that we all need. Let's read verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now just pause on that statement, the son of David. Here are two guys who are physically blind. They can't see uh, anything, presumably had to be helped to follow the crowd that's gathering around Jesus. Physically, they see nothing. They see no color. They see no shapes. But spiritually, these men see exactly who Jesus Christ is. They call him the son of David. Now, Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he's writing to largely a Jewish audience. And one of his themes is the fulfillment of the promises that were made centuries ago in the Old Testament. And one of those figures who would have been large on the horizon of anyone reading Matthew's gospel was King David. King David lived about a thousand years before Jesus Christ, and he was one of the great, great kings of the people of the nation. And he was, if you like, the very first shepherd king. Uh, literally, he was a shepherd. That was, his, that was his job. That's what he grew up doing. On one occasion, he said that uh, when he's facing Goliath, he says, I've always been a shepherd. If a, if a lion or a bear ever came and took one of the sheep, I would, I would go after it and I would, I'd smash the lion, and I'd grab the sheep, and I'd take it home. That's what, that's what I do. I'm, I'm a shepherd. And he became one of the great kings of God's people. He was a man after God's heart. He was one of the great kings who could be trusted. But the problem was, in the rest of the Old Testament, the people lived, if you like, under a dark cloud, waiting for another David. And year after year went by, another king would come. First there was Solomon after David, and then lots of other kings, Uzziah, Josiah. Some of them were good, but didn't last long, didn't have much power and died. Uh, Some of them were bad, were wicked, destroyed the the people. But year after year, the people were waiting and waiting, living under this dark cloud, waiting for a new David who had been promised, waiting and waiting and waiting in the tough times and the good times, They waited. And at the start of Matthew's gospel, Matthew gives a a hint that something is about to happen. The tough times are over for those who've been waiting. He says that uh, Joseph is in the line of David. That's a a clue. Chapter 2, verse 6, we're told that uh, Jesus is a shepherd. He's going to be a shepherd ruler. And then this verse, this verse here, verse 27 of this chapter, is the first verse when those two things come together. This king of the Old Testament, this son of David, is finally here. Matthew is pointing us through these people to who Jesus is. Jesus is this son of David who's been waiting, who everyone's been waiting for all of the years. Just flick over to chapter uh, 11. We didn't read this, but just flick over to chapter 11 and just see another example of of this. This is John verse 2, Jesus's cousin who's in prison. And he hears what Jesus is doing and he sends disciples, verse three, to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, Jesus is saying all of those promises waiting in the Old Testament for that they've come true in me. I'm the son of David. I bring in this new kingdom. And the evidence is, well, the blind are being given their sight back. The mute are speaking again. The, the lame are walking again. Now, we, we don't know really back in chapter 9 how these blind men knew that. Maybe they'd heard that there was a king who was healing. Maybe they'd heard what he did just before uh, the verses that we looked at last week. That in the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus Christ was a shepherd Even there, raising the dead, just pulling people out of death. He was that sort of shepherd. Maybe they'd heard that sort of thing. And they put it together and they said, son of David, have mercy upon us. So the first thing that we see this evening is the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true shepherd, the shepherd king who's come, the shepherd who can lead us through life and through death. But then in these verses, there are various responses to Jesus. And the first is is actually from these blind men. So first of all, we see that people won't obey him. Let's read verse 28. Uh, When Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. So Jesus goes into a house again, as he did last week. And he goes in and he starts to, if you like, probe the the faith of these men. He asks them a question, do you believe that I can do this? And they say Yes, Lord. And then Jesus says, according to your faith, it will be done. I just stop on that. He's not saying uh, if you have enough faith, then I will heal you. Sometimes it's it's used in that way. People say all sorts of things. If you if you have enough faith, then uh, your illness will be healed. It basically depends upon your faith. All sorts of things are said in in that name. But actually, Jesus is commending their faith already. They've actually already reached out to Jesus in faith. Jesus is saying, according to the faith that you've already shown, here, be healed. And so they are. Jesus touches their eyes. I imagine that Jesus could have done it with a word. Jesus doesn't need to touch them to heal them. But the personal touch of Jesus on them and his love and compassion for them is the means that he uses to heal them. And they're healed. Now, the miracles that we see in the life of Jesus at this point point to his identity, show us what he's like, he's the true king, but they point beyond to the reality of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. So in the past few weeks, we've seen that it's going to be a kingdom where there's no more disease anymore. We've seen that it's a kingdom where death is going to be finished forever. And here we see that it's a a kingdom where the light dawns, if you like. So for centuries, people have been living under this Dark cloud. We heard about it in Ezekiel 34. This this land of the dark cloud for years, but here the light breaks in, and people see the sun is in all of its glaring splendour. Seen. I don't know if any of you, um, some of you might have watched the, the Ryder Cup last uh, last week. I don't know if you you saw it, but you may have heard about the weather uh, in that. I mean, for three days. It just rained and rained and rained, and the clouds were, were just low over the, the course. It was just depressing, just depressing. And then on the last afternoon, um, which, uh, which Europe won just, uh, just to sort of mention that just on that last afternoon, on that last afternoon, with the, with the clouds down low suddenly, suddenly the sun broke through, and the clouds pulled back. And if you've seen any of the photos of that that last day, the the champagne is flowing and the the cup is being held up. And everyone is just bathed in sunlight, just sort of pouring through blue sky overhead. And and that's that's really what's going on as Jesus gives sight to these men into this world of dark clouds for centuries and centuries waiting for the king. Suddenly, the sunlight breaks through. It's a picture as these men are given sight of what the kingdom of Jesus Christ is about. But then did you notice that oddly, oddly, Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this. Now, we're not quite sure why that is. Uh, Maybe it's because Jesus knows that the the cross is his mission and that the wheels for that will be set very quickly in motion as soon as people hear about who he is. And so he conceals it. He, He needs to train up his disciples first. Maybe that's why he says to these men. Now is not the time. Trust me. Now is not the time. And actually, he's very strong with them. He's rebuking them. He sternly warns them. Now is not the time in this area for you to go out and start saying what I've done. Don't, says Jesus. But, verse 31, they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. They don't obey Jesus. Now, now why is that interesting at this point? These are the first men in Matthew's gospel who disobey Jesus all of the way through. People have been coming to Jesus. These are the first two guys in the New Testament who do something that Jesus doesn't want them to do. And that's interesting because these chapters that we've looked at in the last few weeks, in one sense, one of the themes is what it's like to follow Jesus. That word follow, if you look back in Matthew 8 to 10, just keeps coming up again and again. What it's like to follow the king. And it's there in verse uh, 27. These blind men followed Jesus. So Matthew is making a point about what it's like to follow Jesus, what sort of followers Jesus wants. And here, in effect, we get a negative example. Do, Do you see the contrast between verse 28 and verse 29? Just look down. Verse 28, do you believe? Yes, Lord. Verse 29, Uh, I don't want you to do this, verse 31, in effect, no, Lord. Yes, Lord. No, Lord. Both together. It's a picture of the following that Jesus isn't looking for. We've just seen some people who follow Jesus wholeheartedly, do the right thing. But here's a picture that's just a bit more shady. Yes, Lord, and no, Lord, from the same people. And do we have a... I wonder, do we ever get that in our discipleship? Maybe for you at the moment, as you follow Jesus, it's, it's yes, Lord, for certain things, but also no, Lord, in other ways. Maybe that's you at the moment. And the sort of followers that Jesus is looking for are those who say, yes, Lord, I trust you, I trust your timing, and I obey you in this. Maybe if you're looking in on the the Christian faith. Maybe you you think that to become a Christian is just simply to just tick a a, a box, just yes, Lord. But then from then I I can say no, Lord, after that. Well, no, it's not like that. Jesus is looking for followers, disciples who trust and obey him. So here's a picture of some who start well with Jesus, but then wander off away from him. They don't obey what Jesus calls them to do. So Jesus is the shepherd, but people won't obey him. And then After that, Jesus is the shepherd, but leaders won't teach about him. Just come and read some of these, some of the most tragic verses, Uh, verse 32. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who'd been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So a demonized man comes to Jesus, he's, he's mute, uh, Jesus heals him, and the crowd remains. They say, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. I mean, we've heard about David, we've heard about Solomon in Israel, we've heard about Josiah and his reforms. We've, this has never happened in our country before in our nation. No one has ever been able to make someone who is mute speak again. No one's ever been able to do this you see that they're on absolutely on the edge of their seats? And then, well, what happens? The Pharisees pipe up. They happen. It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And they, notice they don't deny the miracles of Jesus. In fact, it's very striking if you're looking in uh, on these sorts of things, that people at the time who tried to discredit Jesus didn't say, oh, well, he, he didn't do any miracles. They didn't say that. That would never have washed. Everyone had seen him do miracles. No one at the time was saying Jesus didn't do miracles. We might say that today. No one at the time said that. Now, what they said was the source of the miracles is what we question. That's the problem. Jesus is odd, isn't it? The most compassionate man ever touches people in their given sight. They say of Jesus, uh, he comes from a demon. And that's the tragedy of these verses, really. The crowd were amazed. The crowd are amazed. They're on the edge of their seats. Who is this Jesus? Tell us more. We've never seen anything like this in Israel. And yet the teachers say, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. It's by the prince of demons that he's doing this. Don't listen to Jesus. And so the crowds are turned away. And 17 chapters later, the crowds are in the hands of the teachers. And they are turned against Jesus so that they drive him to a cross. The same crowd has grown by them to such a point. And here's where it starts. Do you see Here are the teachers who should be saying, this is the king. And yet at that very moment, they take a crowd and turn them in the opposite direction. They are like the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34 that we had read earlier, who are looking really for a following for themselves. That's really what they care about, a following for themselves, not pointing to Jesus. They get a following for themselves. And God says back in Ezekiel 34, I'm against the shepherds. I'm against these shepherds. And it's a tragedy when people don't teach about Jesus. It's a a tragedy here in these verses that people don't teach about Jesus. And it's more of a tragedy when the people who should know better don't teach about Jesus. These people, these teachers should know better. They see the miracles before their eyes. They know the scriptures and what that points to, but they will not teach about Jesus. And it's a tragedy today when people don't teach about Jesus, when our, our culture would say, no, don't look at the unique event of Jesus Christ. Don't look at the events of his resurrection. Don't investigate him. No, no look, at, look at these things. Let's introduce you to some new ideas. Our, our culture can do that. But actually, those in positions of power, those in religious establishments, churches, churches should know better. Sometimes turn people away, water down the unique events of Jesus's life, water down him as the only shepherd that people need. Water that down and buy into a sort of, yeah, all ways lead to heaven. Buy into that. It's a tragedy when that happens. And so the second uh, response in these verses is that Jesus is the shepherd, but, but leaders won't teach about him. And so the crowd who are ready, ripe for Jesus, don't hear about him, don't hear anything more from their teachers. And so the, the problem grows, verse 35. And so there are crowds that are helpless without Jesus. Let's read on. Jesus went, verse 35, through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, these verses go, go two ways. There's sort of a bridge in, in this section. They, they look back, they're sort of Jesus's audit of, of the crowds as he walked around. as a summary statement of the audit of the, of the people. A crowds are piling to him. This is what he sees. But as we'll see next week, it also sets up his mission in chapter 10. He's about to send people out into th- these crowds. So it works both ways. But Matthew's observation, do you see, is, is about Jesus. Jesus is a, it says something about Jesus. He's a shepherd. That's been a refrain in the Bible, that one day God was come as a, as a shepherd. We saw it in Ezekiel 34. But mainly at this point, it says something about people without Jesus. It says that people without Jesus are harassed and helpless, Uh, harassed, um, literally cast down and helpless, unable to do anything about it. So here are people. Jesus looks out on the crowds and they're cast down and they can do nothing uh, about it at all. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're in danger. Now, I don't suppose that uh, every moment of every day for these people was was misery and depression. But Jesus's analysis of their situation is that they're harassed and helpless. There would have been days, I guess, when everything was fine. But they're harassed and helpless. Why? Well, we've just seen some of the things that, that afflict them. Disease just comes into their life unannounced. Death just takes some of their relatives when they least expect it. Our uh, illness is around them all the time. Jesus sees that, and, and I guess it would be the same for us. I mean, you, you walk around London, and you think, I mean, are people harassed and helpless? You walk out on a sunny afternoon, as I did this afternoon in Hyde Park, and you, you see the sunshine, and people are smiling and happy. And you, are people harassed and helpless? And it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it every moment. But actually, disease comes into our life when we least expect it. Cancer takes away our relatives unannounced, actually scratch below the surface. And all of us have those moments when we're harassed and helpless, Uh, when life is just too much. The pressure uh, upon us makes us consider things that we've never considered before. Self-harm, a walk in the traffic, just things that we've never thought about before. We're harassed and helpless. Jesus says people without him are like sheep without a shepherd. And of course, the picture there is of is of danger. I mean, I don't know if you've um, if you've seen sheep uh, recently. Sheep are sheep are defenceless animals. Um, they're not like I mean, I mean, goats. Are, are goats, I reckon, would would look after themselves. Okay, if a wolf comes along, goats can sort of skip up into the hills and you know go along a precipice, and they're fine. You know, pigs. Pigs come out with, I imagine pigs come out with a bit of aggression. They've got a bit of the wild boar in them. You know, they they can come out and, you know, the wolf comes out. They look after themselves. Sheep, if you've ever seen, sheep are totally defenseless. You take a shepherd away from a bunch of sheep and just watch. And it won't be long before they're in trouble. You know, one of the leaders, just wander off that way. (laughs) Everyone follows them. It doesn't matter if if that lead sheep happens to be going towards the edge of a cliff. It doesn't matter. They just follow them. If the wolves gather around, I mean, they don't they don't come up with a battle plan and say, "Okay, chaps, here we go. Let's charge out together. There's nothing, nothing. Sheep are defenseless. When there's not a shepherd around, sheep are in danger. And Jesus description of people, Matthew's description of people is that we're in danger. If we don't have a shepherd, we're harassed, we're cast down and there's nothing we can do about it. In life, often we'll sense that. But one day in death, cast down and helpless, nothing we can do. Jesus says we need a shepherd. And that is our world, too. As we look around London, people are harassed and helpless. scratched beneath the surface. Um, The the preacher at um, St. Helens um, a number of years ago, Dick Lucas, you might have heard of him, was um, moved uh, into the ministry in the City of London in part because he used to stand on on the bridge, of uh, London Bridge, he used to just stand on the bridge there and just watch the thousands of people just pouring into the city with no idea, he said, where they were going, what they were doing, what life was about, just pouring into the city and then going home. Day after day after day, he said they were like lemmings," he said, "Just just following, just jumping off the cliff, one after the other. That was his analysis. It's Jesus' analysis of life, without him, just going through life, really no idea where we're going, but actually in danger all of the time. That's Jesus' analysis. So I wonder, do you see that? Do you see that as you look out on London, as you look out on your friends, as you, as you think about Christianity Explored, inviting someone to the sports quiz? Do you, do you see people, oh, Jesus says, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're in danger. And can you see that if, if you won't come to Jesus, then you stay there. You stay in that place of danger without a shepherd. Oh, you can look to other shepherds in life, Sure. You can look to a career advisor. You can look to a second year student, sure. But actually you need a proper shepherd. One who can smash off the lions and the bears. One who can deal with sin and guilt and death. And Jesus Christ is that shepherd. He comes and he has compassion on the sheep. He has compassion on them. And that compassion for Jesus as a shepherd led him one day to lay down his life for the sheep. That's what he says in John's Gospel. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Not like these other shepherds who've run away. I'm the good shepherd. I've come to lay down my life on the cross in the place of sheep to pay for their sin and the danger they face if they die in their sin. I've come as the good shepherd. Jesus says, crowds are helpless without him. And then lastly, verse 37 to 38. Jesus says, therefore... Pray for workers. Pray for workers, verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus says, Do you see? Do you see? He turns to his disciples, Do you see? People are helpless. Unless they have a shepherd who can lead them, they're absolutely helpless. They're cast down and they're helpless. So pray. Pray, he says. That's the solution. That's what Jesus calls his disciples to do, to pray. So the first image in these verses is the image of lostness. The second one is a slightly different image. It's an image of a harvest that's ripe, that's just ready to be harvested. In other words, Jesus sees that the time of need, people's need, their harassment is also the time of opportunity. People are ready. They're harassed and helpless. They know they need a shepherd deep down. There's a harvest of people, says Jesus, who are in that situation, who who know that they're harassed and helpless, know that they need a harvest. And just notice a few things from these these verses before we go on. A harvest in the Bible is sometimes a, a picture of a final Harvest of judgment here. I think that the compassion of Jesus uh, points to it being a harvest of salvation. And notice as well, verse 38, that the harvest is God's, not ours. Do you see that verse 38? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is the Lord's. And then here's another striking thing pointed out to me a little while ago that the harvest is not in doubt. Did you see? Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest isn't in doubt. There are stacks of people, says Jesus, who are harassed and helpless and know that they need a shepherd in life. The harvest is not in doubt. Actually, what's in doubt is, will there be enough workers, in a sense, to bring in the harvest? That's what Jesus says is needed. There are helpless people, but workers are needed. The the shepherds who've gone astray, who've not doing what they've done, Jesus is going to replace them. He's going to raise up new workers. So Jesus says, pray for workers. Of course, in one sense, we're we're all workers in the harvest field. If we're we're Christian people, we're all workers. We're involved in this work uh, together. So here's a prayer for us, that there might be more of us in our hearts that are turned to be workers in the harvest field that in our offices, our communities, our friendship groups, would be workers for the harvest for Jesus Christ. I was speaking to someone recently who said, I, I just realized in my office that there are a bunch of people who, who are interested in talking about Jesus, but I've, there aren't, there's not enough of uh, us Christians who just want to talk about it. So I started praying. I prayed that there'd be a few more Christians, sure enough. A few months later, a couple more joined the firm. It's been brilliant. And we pray together and, and we're reaching more. Fantastic. Pray for workers. You look out in your office, pray for workers. We're all workers in, in that sense. But I think as well, the context would, would point us to um, another use of that as well. So chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls some to be set aside full time to do that. He's calling his apostles. Chapter 10, verse 10, the same word worker is used of, of these people. In 2 Timothy, the same word worker is used of a, of a sort of Bible teaching ministry as well. So we're all workers, but some are set aside full time as well to uh, be workers, full-time paid workers in the harvest field. And so a prayer for workers would include a prayer for those as well. And, of course, we're all involved in that work. If you were here at the annual dinner this week, uh, we were thinking about that, that that we're building the body of Christ together as a church. That's what we're doing. We're building the body of Christ together. So we all play our part in raising up workers, general workers, but full-time paid workers as well. We're all involved in this financially, meeting one-to-one with a younger a guy or girl, and knowing God groups where we just spur one another on, that out of those groups might come other workers as well. But pray. And so the picture of these verses is of an enormous harvest. I mean, think of one of those massive um, fields of wheat in, in northwest America. Think of them. as you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres of, of ripe Wheat ready to be harvested, but then imagine back in the farmhouse. It's just a it's just a man and his wife. <laughs> you know, there they are, and, and and he comes in and he says, "The sun's the sun's perfect. The harvest. I'm I'm, I'm worried it's going to spoil now. What do we do?" His wife says, "Well, we need to we need to get more workers. It's obvious we need to get more workers out into the field." And Jesus says, "The harvest is plentiful in in London, in the world, in His day. The harvest is plentiful. So pray for." Workers. So, look, that is a really concrete thing that we could do this, this week. We could pray that God would send out workers from amongst us into his harvest field. I mean, we've, we've sent some on the board over there to, to other countries. We pray that we'd send some into the different parts of London. We pray that each of us would be workers in our offices and our places of work. There's a concrete thing we could do. Pray. It's very simple, isn't it? Ask God for more workers. There you go, something we could do this week. Ask God, please, Lord, raise up more workers. There's a big need in this city, in this nation, because people are harassed and helpless. I went to a meeting uh, this week where a number of people were just um, thinking about London. How do we reach this city of seven million people? Where do we start? What do we do? And, and one of the maps that was put up on the wall was of all of the postcode districts of the capital and then we zoomed in on one of them and then uh, on this slide were put first of all uh, pictures of all of the um doctors and uh, hospitals in this area and were, you know there quite a few up there gp surgeries lots lots of those went up 200,000 people in this um this postcode area hundreds uh, then we then put up um, post offices, you know, again, hundreds, lots of, lots of post offices, Brilliant. Um, people can get their letters delivered. Um, and then churches, uh, churches where you might hear about Jesus. And th- th- there's just few, fewer, just just few, not, not so many. And that would be repeated all the way around the city. People harassed and helpless, but workers, Christians who go out and tell people about Jesus and mm, not so many. Jesus says. Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you make this a matter of prayer that God would raise up workers? And I imagine as we do that, that that'll be costly for us. Some some of our workers will, will have to send away elsewhere and we stay and serve or we, we go and serve. Some will will send away. That, that, that will be the case. That'll be costly uh, for us. Uh, the finances for these sorts of things, it's costly to do that, to support missionaries, to support apprentices as they consider being workers in this sense. It's costly for us as a church to do that. And don't be surprised if you find yourself being the answer to your own prayer, because that's what happens in chapter 10. The disciples pray and hey, presto, got some workers. Let's talk. Off you go. In, uh, in 1832, um, to illustrate the costliness of this. Um, a couple called Mr. and Mrs. Taylor uh, gathered to pray in their small house. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Taylor loved um, Jesus and were concerned for the lost. And particularly on their heart was the continent of the country of China. Uh, they were concerned that there weren't many uh, Christians who'd ever been to China to tell the Millions of people who lived there about Jesus Christ. And so they prayed. And they were expecting a son. And they prayed this. Dear God, if you should give us a son, grant that he may work for you in China. On May 21st, 1832, a young boy was born to them. Uh, His name was uh, James Taylor or Hudson Taylor as he came to be named. And he was to be a missionary who would be one of the first missionaries ever into that country. And he told many people about Jesus Christ. See, that couple, they prayed for a worker. Their own son was costly for them. They prayed because they saw that people in China were harassed and helpless. And so they prayed. Might we too pray that God would raise up workers for the harvest field? And so we see in these verses that... um, Jesus says we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd who can shepherd us through life. We're not made to be independent. We're made to be dependent. We need a shepherd. We'll we'll look for it somewhere. We'll find it somewhere. But Jesus is the shepherd, the true shepherd that we need who can take us through life and through death and to heaven. Jesus is the true shepherd. I read an article recently. Um, It was about snipers in Afghanistan. And uh, these guys were in the middle of a battle zone. And they were were firing across this this valley, bullets flying everywhere. And all of a sudden, uh, one of them just caught out of the the corner of his eye uh, this, what he realized was a shepherd. Um, It was an Afghan man, this, this old Afghan shepherd standing in the middle of the battle zone, bullets flying everywhere. And and this is what he records. He says, I suddenly saw the shepherd in the uproar of battle, and this shepherd stretched out his wooden staff. He stretched out his arms wide, and the sheep responded to him in the middle of the battle zone, this brave shepherd gathering the shepherd in, and they clustered round him and lowered their heads around at his feet. Jesus Christ is the shepherd who gathers his people as they're harassed in the middle of a battle zone in the ups and downs of this world. And says, come to me. I'm a shepherd. I'm the son of David. I have compassion on sheep who are without a shepherd unless they come to me. Let's pray. Father, forgive us uh, this week where we have lived independently of you. We've sought to just get through life on our own and been dependent on ourselves. And we want to pray that in this next week we would be more dependent on you, that we'd see our need for a shepherd to lead us through life, and that we'd trust you and look to you. And if we've uh, never realized our need for a shepherd before tonight, uh, then we pray that you'd help us to find out more about Jesus the shepherd, that we might come to him and see at the cross the way that he laid down his life for sheep who are in danger like us. Amen.